Hey friends, welcome to Drink Sober Not Boring. My name is Era. I'm a former bartender and a current recovering alcoholic. Each week we'll be joined by a different guest from the non-alcoholic space. These remarkable individuals will bring their unique stories and perspectives, shedding light on a world beyond alcohol full of joy, growth, and endless possibilities. Together we'll navigate the challenges, celebrate our victories, and create a supportive community that thrives in compassion, understanding, and resilience. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed the episode, please consider leaving a review. It helps others looking for support find us more easily. But here's what matters most. If you know someone who's currently struggling, someone who could benefit from feeling less alone in their journey, I ask you to share this podcast with them. All right. Hey, y'all. Today, I'm so excited to talk to you about Blue Spirit a non-alcoholic alternative to alcoholics that's designed by plant scientists and bartenders to make you feel good. Three Spirit is the first of its kind, and it's a celebration of what goes into a drink rather than what is taken out. It's at the heart of everything they do, from the plants they combine on their drinks to the blending of minds and expertise of the people who make that. Three Spirits is blended by bartenders and plant scientists, which is so freaking cool. Together, they're focused on maximizing the functional potency of their drinks. They carefully extract the active compounds from the highest grade, ethically sourced ingredients they can get their hands on. Their processes are complex, delicate, and take time. They include maceration, fermentation, distillation, reverse osmosis, freeze-drying, and ultrasonic extraction. Do you know what that is? Me neither. But I sure do appreciate it. They do whatever it takes to harness the full potential of their ingredients, and it's paid off. Three Spirit has won over 10 awards for flavor and function. So what are you waiting for? So if you're looking for a delicious, fun, and functional way to enjoy a drink without the alcohol, Three Spirit is the perfect choice for you. Head over to us.threespiritdrinks.com slash sobernotboring or use the code sobernotboring at checkout for 15% off your first order. And don't forget to check out our Instagram account, drinksobernotboring, for recipes and inspiration under our mocktail moment hashtag. Head over to Three Spirit and find out how fun and functional drinking alcohol-free can be. Cheers. Okay, on today's episode of Drinks Over and Outboarding, we have Lindsay. She's the creator of Sobriety Is Your Edge, and you can find her on Instagram at Happily Soberly Living. Welcome, Lindsay. Hello. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm so excited to talk about how you got where you are and everything that you've learned so far, and I think it'll be really beneficial to other people who may be dabbling in sobriety or just harm reduction, which we definitely are a big supporter of, drinking less. So how did you come about? to uh, where you are now and where are you now? Yeah, okay. Well, so right now I am three and a half years sober. Actually on Saturday, it'll be three and a half exactly. So- Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's been actually crazy to think that it's been that long because it doesn't feel like at all. Uh, and so my, my, my journey there, it was long and it was exhausting at times. But it was really one where my drinking just evolved into a habit where I would start to realize like, oh, it's been, you know, blank amount of days since I haven't had a drink. And sometimes that blank would be five, but sometimes it would be 35. And like <laughs> just kind of looking up from from where I was like, gosh, I need this. What's happening here? When did I become this person who comes home from work every single day and drinks not just a glass, but often a bottle of wine in the evenings? Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, it just, it happened so slowly that I didn't even realize it was happening. And then, so sort of started where, you know, you have your 20s, you're in college, and you're, I was a major extrovert. I was always partying. I never, I was always part of like a very social crowd. And after I graduated college, it was just kind of like, okay, I was getting married and I was living this life that was just someone who was young and I was going out. And that mentality I always had was, well, I'll quit drinking whenever I have kids. And yeah, and then I never had kids. And so (laughs) I had a slew of fertility issues with my first husband. We went through tons of fertility treatments, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, and I never became pregnant. So... I just continued living this life where I drank and I exercised and I went to work and that was kind of my life. And then that husband, we separated and parted ways. And then I was in this work environment where drinking was just like a big part of the culture. It was like hundreds of of coworkers I had where we were all in our early 30s or late 20s and we would just go for a run right after work or before work. And then we would meet at the bar right after. And Mm -hmm. there was never a day where somebody wasn't like, hey, do you want to go grab a drink after work? And every evening was happy hour. And so for several years of that, it was very much of what I would maybe even consider a healthy mix back then, the happy hours and the exercise and the work. because I always ate healthy, I always exercised, you know, I always did those things. So that when people looked at me, they were just like, oh, Lindsay, my coworker Lindsay is running with all of our other coworkers. Like we would these groups and, you know, we would meet at 630 in the morning at the office and go for a nice run. And then we'd all shower and yeah, alcoholics don't typically do that. We don't care when I was in kitchen getting up at 630 and going for a run. I couldn't even get up at 630 sober. Oh, so yeah, no. I can see the dichotomy of like there there's a habit, but there isn't a problem kind of thing. Exactly. But like after a while, I always felt like crap. Like <laughs> yeah. there there was nothing really healthy about what I was doing. I was only forcing myself to go on the run because I had drank the night before or it was like my penance run. Right. And yeah. So yeah. it just, you know, that happened for a while and then eventually became things became more serious. It was more than just a few drinks after work. It was, it shifted into going home after work and drinking alone and drinking a bottle of wine alone and going home after work. And instead of wanting to do something with my husband, wanting my my own downtime, it became the only way that I knew how to have downtime and relax in quotation marks and recharge. And so this this probably lasted five, six, seven more years after that. And I just was so tired all of the time. And I remember like I would go into work and I would just be so hungover and I would just kind of write off the day. And by noon, I was like, I'm actually just going to head home. And sometimes I would just head home and drink wine all afternoon. And then my husband would go from work. And I would have already had a bottle of wine and it would be four o'clock in the afternoon on like, you know, Thursday. What was his, was his attitude towards this? Was he picking up on it? Was he saying things to you? 
I never had an ultimatum from him. I never had anything like that. There were definitely arguments that happened because of my drinking that I started. <laughs> right. But I think he knew, like, she's going to figure this out. Like, he could tell because he saw what nobody else saw. Like, he knew that it wasn't serving me, that I was a little depressed. But he also knew that, like, pushing me on it was not going to solve the way to go yeah <laughs> there was not yeah you battle one if he was like oh really you drank another bottle of wine today like that was not gonna get me anyway yeah well like you're lucky for that too because a lot of people a lot of people especially when they're in a relationship they feel almost like part of the problem because they remember how their partner was in the beginning of their relationship and okay well in their mind their partner was okay and now They've been together for a while and partner's not okay. And they start to internalize it and say, is this because of me? And that turns into a self-fulfilling prophecy, all these fights, because it is your fight. But the timeline and the correlation, which may have nothing to do with your husband, he can't see that. You know, he might just say, like, she was doing so good and then we got together and now she's really depressed. Is that something that I did? And I can understand both parts. You know, we always internalize everything and we always think that we kind of have a better face on than we do. I used to remember thinking that no one could tell I was ever drunk and like look back at it now and I'm a very intelligent person and the fact that I had convinced myself that is almost scary. You know, like Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like there was no way my husband was coming home from work after I drank a bottle of wine and he wasn't noticing it. Like right. Like he knew that I had been doing something. Like <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And so he's my second husband. I, I might have skipped that part of the story. So through all of this, like I get remarried and things are great. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, I'm I was 37 when I got remarried. And I was still we had a bunch of friends that were our age and they also didn't have kids. And we had this lifestyle that we've cultivated where we have groups of friends that don't have children and we would all drink and we didn't have this other responsibility of, you know, kids to take care of. And so I just this this thing of alcohol just sort of it continued to chip away at my ambition, you know, because it did shift. It shifted from be Lindsay being the social out drinker to Lindsay being the social out drinker who would go home couldn't go to bed until she had her own quiet, you know, nightcap by herself. And then the going home after work all the time and drinking by myself and choosing on a Friday night, I would rather like just have a quick dinner with my husband and then sit on the couch and like watch, you know, Food Network all night and drink a bottle plus of wine. And then Saturday morning, wake up and be like, oh my God, I've ruined my weekend again. Like, I just constantly was ruining my weekends from being wildly hungover. And so I, in 2018 is when things really started to turn around for me. I was just about to turn 40. And in November of 2018, I read my first quit lit book. And a coworker sort of, like, mentioned it to me. And she was like... Lindsay, there's this book and she quit drinking. And I think she was, you know, because we would always talk about like, oh, I had too much wine the night before. Like this was a coworker that commiserate. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I read A Happier Hour by Rebecca Weller. Oh, I've never read that one. I was going to say I'm a long list of lip books that I'm 
like ugh, unusually obsessed with. I tell people who who have no problem with alcohol to drink them or to drink them to read them because some of them are hilarious, some of them are just very heart wrenching. So what what was the name of that one? I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to pick it up. Yeah, it's A Happier Hour by Rebecca Weller. And okay. this was the first book I ever read. And she was just like, she was funny and she was just like me. I was like, oh my gosh, we have even like similar careers in some aspects. And we, so the premise of her book was that she did a 100 day challenge and quit drinking. And so I read this book cover to cover in a weekend. It was Thanksgiving weekend in the US and November of 2018. And I read it and my coworker read it at the same time too. And we said, okay, we're going to do 30 days. Like there was, my brain could not fathom a hundred days. Like there was just absolutely no way. And so we did 30 days and like, I did a lot in that 30 days where I couldn't believe the things I did without alcohol. Like I went on a work trip, which is a whole other part of my life. My previous work travel was just like a ridiculous amount of drinking whenever I was on work travel. And so the fact that I went on a work trip and didn't drink, I was like, wow, these, this, okay, okay, I'm feeling this. And then I didn't make it my 30 days. I lasted like 28 or 29. I don't even remember now, but it was my 40th birthday. It was Christmas Eve. And I just was like, eh, I'm over this. I'm ready to hang out with my family. And 28, 28 is a hell of a run. Yeah. That was my birthday. Yeah. We've all been there. We've all been there. For your first time, like ever taking a break, I was like, yeah, that's good. And then, so it was, I, I probably spent, well, I know I spent the next 18 months trying to figure out how to be a moderate drinker. Like, how can I be someone who doesn't drink Monday through Thursday? How can I, I don't drink more liquor? I only drink beer. We've all, it's so funny because every time that someone's in that spiral, like I was, you think that you're the only person who's ever like been coming up with this plan to like right. not take shots or whatever. And then you talk to other people who quit drinking like, oh, we all had this little transitional phrase where we were like, okay, we're going to do X, Y, and Z to still be able to drink. Right. And right. not possible, but it's very cute of us. It's so We were trying to be progressive. Yeah. It's so cute. But it was also how I figured out that like, I don't, I can't have any, like that was, that's really the learning. And that's what I get to in my program is around like building resilience from those slip ups from trying to moderate and like being able to craft, taking those slip ups and then crafting an alcohol free life. Like you can translate them and you can get there. It just, it takes your own sort of trial and error before you get there. And so, yeah, I spent 18 months trying to do that. And then in 2020, like during the pandemic, like beginning of the pandemic, I got a new job. I worked my ass off for it. It was a ridiculous interview process. It was five interviews. The final interview was with like six or so members of the global management team. And it was three and a half hours. It was a role play. And they like, <laughs> yeah, it was intense. And I remember it was the Tuesday after Memorial Day weekend in that, in that time and you know holiday weekend here in the u.s and remember when they scheduled interview the final interview i was like oh my god how am i gonna go to this interview after a holiday weekend like the biggest holidays too because the first time pools open it's like people don't think about memorial day as memorial day it's it's the first big barbecue of the summer yes and it is like extra day to drink like it is yeah 
it's drinking day. And That's so crafted for, I believe. Yes. Yes. And so I remember like, it's also my husband's birthday that weekend, like Memorial Day. And I had to figure this out. I was like, I need to figure out how I'm not going to drink. Like I need to be in my A game for this interview. It's like going to be, you've done so much already. Yeah. Uh, I had all you know. gone through four interviews to get to this final stage. This is like, <laughs> and so so I remember I had like two beers and I told my husband, I was like, we can't do anything on Monday. We can't have people over. Like, so we did our celebrating on Saturday and Sunday. And then Monday I took it easy and I was very careful and I nailed the interview and I got the job. And I remember like thinking to myself, I need to keep this job. Like this job was a 20% pay increase from what I was currently making. And it was a big step up for me. So I, I just knew that I had to like get my shit together, really. Like, so, so I got this job and then almost immediately, I also learned that I needed to have a hysterectomy. I had a hostile uterus and I had all these health issues that were associated to that. And because of the pandemic, I didn't exactly know when the surgery was going to be because I didn't, I also did not want to be in a hospital during that time. So I get my surgery date and it was for about almost exactly two months after I started my job. So I started the job in June and I, I remember thinking like, I don't, I had been drinking so heavily that I didn't want there to be complications to my surgery and going under anesthesia because of the amount of alcohol I had been drinking. So right. admitted to, I am going to quit drinking two weeks before this surgery. Like I knew that it was around 14 days for all the alcohol to be out of your system. And I, so I committed to that. And then that was, I never drank again after that. Uh, because I knew, I knew that I was not going to be successful at this job if I hadn't quit drinking. Yeah. But you have to like, you're, you're talking about all of these things that do with your job, but I have to I have to backtrack and think about all the emotional turmoil that comes from infertility treatments, your divorce happening for whatever reason, may it be because of that or not because of that. And then, you know, having hysterectomy, that's all a lot of emotional turmoil and baggage. And I think not saying that that made you drink more or anything for the fact that you went through something that's so literally life changing and that you didn't go back is, is a very huge sign of your strength because not only were you drinking as a habit, but it had to be somewhat of a coping mechanism for everything that was kind of going awry that was out of your control. Yeah. Um, and for me, I, I don't know how I, would, how I would react if I had to go through all of that, but I can say that if I was still drinking, it probably would have done the opposite and pushed me further into drinking because I don't know how I would cope with that. So you you were very cognizant of all this stuff. And like you said, it was a slow buildup. But I think that that was really, really helpful for you in the end because you had been so slow that you had seen all the progression and you had made the willing, conscious decision to not drink anymore. Yeah, thank you. And that's real great. Yeah, oh, thank you for saying that. Yeah, it was, you know, I think I had definitely, a lot of my drinking was a result of this, like I couldn't let go of the fact that I was not going to have family. I wasn't going to have kids, right? And so the reality of my hysterectomy, that that's very final, right? Like yeah. after, after there's no there's no chance anymore. Right. right. 
Yeah. And so it was very much this like bridge I had to go over and like leaving this old life behind and like stepping into my new reality and forever and accepting it as my forever. My forever mm -hmm. life is me and my husband and our dog and, you know, my other obviously family that I have but my immediate family is me and my husband and my dog and so right. um, I didn't I was just ready to like no longer say that that I was gonna live that new life feeling like garbage all the time yeah yeah especially when you do so many things to feel better like you said eat well and you exercise and like all of those things in a normal situation would be making you feel amazing and you're still doing them and because it's almost like backtracking, doing all that stuff and then drinking and it's taking it all away almost. Yeah. You do the hard part, but you don't get the good parts of it. You don't feel good in the morning or all that stuff, but you've done the the work. Yeah. You're robbing yourself of the, of the benefits of those things. It really is. It really is. And so, and that's the thing, like I, it took me 20 months to figure that out. It took me 20 months to figure it out. And then in that June, you know, I finally made a change. And then within two months I was able to, completely turn it around after I got serious about making a change and committing to it and not doing the same thing I had been trying to do over and over again, which wasn't working. And that's like, that's what I, that's why I created Sobriety is Your Edge is because there's this old you, the you that drinks all the time and does the thing that you know to do to decompress or relax or escape whatever thing you don't feel like dealing with. And then there's that in-between time to the new you. And accepting this this new life that you have that's available to you. And it's available to all of us. It's just that in-between that is scary and uncomfortable and awkward. And we need friends and we need support and we need tools. And so that's why I created it. Because I don't want other women to have to take 18 to 20 months to figure this out. They can do it so much faster. That's that's the thing, right? Is I don't know anybody who's gone through a sobriety journey of any kind that doesn't want to make it easier for those coming after them. Mm -hmm. It's it's ridiculously hard in every aspect. Like I could I could probably write a list of a hundred reasons why it's hard and still have more to yeah. write. Yes. And and that's when I when I got sober, I was just there was so many issues and there were so many problems and there was just one place to go. And the one place was majority of men who were in their 50s and had been sober for decades. And I was just, this isn't computing for me. It's not that I don't respect these people or think what they say is valuable, but we're on different planes and different universes and different generations. And like the reason, even just as a woman, the reason that women drink and how we kind of camouflage our drinking is so much different than men. In Introducing Joyous, the award-winning non-alcoholic wine that tastes so good, even wine snobs are raising their eyebrows. And Joyous isn't just delicious, it's a champion. At the prestigious 2023 New York World Wine and Spirits Competition, Joyous snagged not one, not two, but three incredible medals. Their sparkling rosé brought home double gold, best in class. Their Cabernet Sauvignon, a bronze, and even their standard sparkling wine took home a silver. That's a win for flavor, a win for well-being, and a win and a win for supporting a woman-owned business. Visit drinkjoyousus.com and use code DRINKSOVERNOTBORING for 10% off your first order. Celebrate, connect, and feel your best, all without the hangover. Joyous, it's wine reinvented.
then you have the fact that my generation was a generation where like in third grade, I was going to school about 60 miles north of New York City and the Twin Towers fell and all the parents came running into school and grabbing their kids and running out. Like that was, I, growing up, I felt safe until I was about third grade, until the Twin Towers fell, because that was the most defining day in my childhood was, okay, well, we're not safe. Parents can run into school and grab their kids. My mom didn't come get me right away. So I was like, it was just one of those things where I feel like our generation with the 9-11 attacks and the school shootings that started to come, a lot of us stopped feeling safe. And I talk about that a lot with my friends is like, do you remember a time where you felt safe in the world? And most of us say it was, you know, kindergarten for second grade. And then something huge happens and you're supposed to look towards your parents and towards the news and towards the outer world to, you know, concrete your idea that everything's okay and no one could tell us it was okay you know and our parents weren't okay and our teachers weren't okay and no one really knew what was going on and I remember just being so confused these people are supposed to make sure I'm safe and be okay and they're not okay and I think that was one of those things that kind of like in my subconscious as I was growing up I just I almost felt like this life isn't um you just gotta do what you gotta do to survive and like when I started drinking I was like this makes me feel more alive and it makes me feel more safe in a way because I stopped caring about what was going on around me, which is so detrimental. But at the same time, it's like you find something that works and you're young. We're really young when we start to drink. You know, we're not even developed. And oh. all you know is I don't feel good. This helps. It's a very simple A plus B equation. And then you get older and you realize there's so many more letters and characters and it's really not an A plus B equation. But you, you you need safety in your life. And when things go wrong, I feel a lot of us kind of turn towards things that, like you said, take us out of it, whatever that may be. And some people that's running, and some people that's drinking or drugs, but the goal is the same. It's to feel safe with who you are and what you are. And sobriety is, I, I heard the other day that it was like on a podcast, you said 98%. To give something up 98% is way harder than to give it up 100% because there's that 2% where you're always making a decision. Like, am I going to eat bad tonight, you know, because I decided to eat good most of the time. And But if you don't, if you make the 100% decision, there's no choices to be made. I'm not drinking. Right. There's no occasion. There's no birthday that's going to change that. I'm not drinking. It makes it easier, even though it seems a lot harder. It's, oh, my gosh. It's so true. And this is, that is like, that's the epitome of one being harder than none. Like, hard enough and thousands too many. Exactly. And like, we just can't spend like, this is why I, I promote this so much in my program is like, the goal is to make alcohol no longer an issue. The goal isn't necessarily to quit drinking. That is a product of what happens when we make alcohol no longer the issue. And so we what that means is it's not occupying your brain all day to to distract you from the things that are important, to distract you from your kids, to distract you from your work, to distract you from, you know, whatever it is that you have going on. Because if you drink, then that is distracting you, but not in a positive way. Like, I would much rather be distracted from my problems because I spent an afternoon out of my paddle like that you're missing all the beautiful parts of life when you get to when you purposely distract yourself from the bad things you also lose the good things and this life is very hard but it's there's so many beautiful things i 
I used to go to Ireland every summer when I was growing up because my mother immigrated over here. And I started drinking when I was 18 there because it's that's the legal age. And so from 18 to about 23, 24, I would drink most of the time I was there. And I went back for the first time last summer sober. And I had the opportunity to not only be sober, but see the country for, through my son's eyes for the first time. And I just was kicking myself because I had gone so many times and I had no memories of the sunset or the beautiful mountains or the taste of the air or all of the things that when your priority is drinking, that's where your priority is. And you're not, you're not absorbing the, the good stuff. And I, you, you miss out on so much and you don't even realize it. And that's like even a worse part is that you don't even realize what you're missing out on until you see it again. But if you don't see it again, you'll never know how beautiful life was. There are people who go their whole life and they die drunk. And that breaks my heart because how many good days do you have, you know, when you're drunk? Exactly. Not many. And, and like, I used to think life was X, Y, and Z. And like I said, it's hard, but it's so much easier to deal with it when you're able to see the beautiful things. Like you're worth yeah. seeing the beautiful things. You're worth waking up in the morning and not feeling like you're going to have to run to the bathroom and taking days to relax and you actually relax. You don't drink, you actually relax and you feel better. And that may be a time of drinking. So it's just, it's so interesting how we try to um, make it fit in our lives. But in reality, it's constantly telling us like, this isn't fitting. This isn't. This isn't benefiting you. It might not be hurting you a ton, but is it benefiting you? Right. It's not. And like to your point around like you're you think that you're relaxing while you're drinking. You think that, you know, you go home after work or you spend a Sunday evening with a few glasses of wine to relax. But ultimately, it's just depleting you and it's taking away from your energy and your ambition to wake up the next day. And your liver is working overtime. You're laying on the couch and relaxing, yeah. and your liver is is literally like basically all your other organs shut down and let and give all their energy to your liver so that it can get this poison out of your body. And should just think of the liver as a as someone someone or something with a thought process. I can only imagine spending your whole day trying to get this stuff out of your system, and by nine a.m. it's out of your system, and then you go to a brunch at eleven a.m. and your liver is again working overtime, and so the rest of your body is just trying to focus on getting this poison out. That's it. So all the other functions that it needs to be doing, it's not doing. And right. there's no way you can feel better if you're, that's, that's fire or flight mode for your liver. And yeah, I think that I did that to my body for eight years. It just, it's, it's scary. It, our bodies are so strong to, to put up with all that stuff that we put them through. Like, I'm very right. thankful that I. I didn't know that back then. Maybe it would have stopped me. But just to think, of, I'm still, I can still live. I'm still healthy. I still have all my limbs. And after basically poisoning myself daily for a good part of eight years, it's we. There is redemption. Like I always say, it's never too late. It's never too late. You're never too old to you know get sober or stop drinking or drink less. Because as long as you're still on this planet, there's more for you. Exactly. And, and you're worth it. I, I didn't believe I was worth being sober. I just didn't think I was a good enough person. Every person I knew I was sober was so good. And I was just, my prerogatives were around alcohol. And that, that didn't make me bad. I was just in addiction, you know? So to be able to like 
hear other people's stories and to know to know that there are other people out there that are also able to recognize your problem without having to go the hard road like I did and go to jail and all that stuff. It's it gives me so much hope because there has to be more than one group of people in this world. You know, they're not all alcoholics on the on the street, homeless, whatever. Could be your teacher, your mom, it could be your priest, like and, and just because you don't see it doesn't mean that it's not there. And uh, that is so it. Like, from the outside looking in, people would not have thought that I was a drunk. Like, they would, I had a very, I've always had a very good job. I drive a nice car. I go to yoga on Saturdays. I run in the mornings. Or like, you know, like, you would not have looked at me and said, wow. That girl needs to get her And that makes it harder for you to look at yourself and say, I have a problem. Right. Because, because for everything that's going on, I'm like, my bills are paid. My yep. life is happy. I I own a home. I'm sitting here. I go to work every single day. Yeah, sometimes maybe I'm not feeling too hot and I cut out early. But like, I'm getting my shit done. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's hard. It's got to be even hard. I mean, it. It's hard for people who have lost everything to even admit it. So to be in a situation where you haven't, but you don't have to. And like getting sober is hard in any way. But I can promise you when you lose everything, it becomes a lot harder to even have access to like the resources that you would need. Rehab or inpatient or whatever you're looking for. They all cost money. And if you've lost everything, then you've also lost your ability to get those tools. Um, I want you to tell me more about what sobriety is your edge? What does it look like? What what are the kind of steps people have to take to join it? I want to know kind of all about what that looks like. Thank you. Yeah. So it's a three-month program. And this is a container where you, you do need to take a little bit of a break from alcohol in the beginning so that you feel the benefits of what it's like to have the alcohol out of your system. Um, but it's also if you have a drink and you are experimenting with that, it's okay. Like your your investment's not blown. That is right. the part where you lean in, right? That's when you're going to lean into the other members of the group and lean into me as a resource so that you can craft taking what you've learned from all of those moments and craft that alcohol-free life. So when people enroll, they um, I have two options where it's just the group program or it's also one that includes some bonus one-on-ones with me. And so this group program is around self-paced modules. So there's tons of resources in there that will support you wherever you are in your journey. Because somebody who's on day one, they don't need a guide to go out with their girlfriends after work yet. They might need that after, you know, two and a half months in or something. But so there's all kinds of resources to support you for wherever you're at throughout this time that is self-paced. And then there's bi-weekly coaching calls where we talk about new topics every time and these range from you know mastering your emotions truly understanding what the effects alcohol has on your body what is your sobriety arsenal what do you how are you creating it so that when you are going out into the world how are you coping and um visioning and goal setting like why are you here why did you sign up for this thing 
let's get clear on your goals. And then the ultimate like ride throughout the entire program is having this vision of your future self and connecting with her every single day. And so I teach you ways to connect with this vision of yourself because she's your goal. She's where you want to get to. And every decision you make needs to bring you closer to her. So we analyze and talk about the decisions that you make to see, did that bring you closer to her or pull you further away? That sounds like a revolutionary program, and I cannot wait to see all the good it does. Thanks again for being on the podcast, Lindsay. Oh, thank you so much. And likewise to you, I love following you on Instagram as well. This has been so much fun for me. Before we go, I want to thank each and every one of you for being a part of our growing Drink Sober Not Boring community. And a sincere thank you to Lindsay for sharing her journey with us and the insight into quitting alcohol long before a rock bottom moment. I say this often, but I will say it again. Rock bottom makes for a lot of wild stories, but more so, a lot of pain, regret, and suffering that is 100% not necessary in order to get sober. Nevertheless, whatever way you stop drinking, as long as you are not hurting yourself or others, is perfectly okay with me. Alcohol-free is alcohol-free no matter how you get there. Make sure to visit lindsayhenneke.com that link is in the show notes to learn more about her sobriety is your edge coaching program you can also follow Lindsay on instagram at happily sober at happily soberly living and don't forget to follow us at drink sober not boring and dsnv pod while you're at it hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode remember we rise by lifting others if you know someone who would benefit from this podcast please share it with them you just might be helping them find the strength they need to overcome their challenges it's never too late and you will never be too old. Be kind to someone who needs it today, and I will talk to you next week.